Good morning, everyone. My name is Troy. I'm one of the leaders here. I want to welcome you again. I want to start off with a, with a statement this morning. The statement is this statement. Hurt people hurt people. I'm going to say that one again. Hurt people hurt people. Amen. And every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room has been hurt at some point by somebody else in our lives. And every one of us in this room has hurt somebody else in our lives as well. One of the things that I deal with very often in my role is conflict. It's, we're, we're, I don't know if you've noticed or not, we're surrounded by it. Okay? There's conflict everywhere. Conflict in everything from a misinterpreted tone or a body language thing, all the way up to a full-blown military war, right? There's conflict all around us. And yet what I find interesting is that in, in spite of the fact that we are swimming in conflict, very often we don't know how, what, how to deal with it, what to do with conflict, how to approach conflict. And there's, because it's around us, there's, there's so many different um, presentations of here's how we should deal with conflict. This, uh, about a couple months ago, the American Management Association put out an article that describes five steps to conflict resolution. Here, here they are in this next slide. Number one, define the source of the conflict. Number two, look beyond the incident. Number three, request solutions. Number four, identify solutions both disputants can support. And number five, agreement. And voila. <laughs> huh? I mean, if only it were that easy, right? Now, and I don't say that to, to make light of this. There's actually some good stuff in here. It's just that there's, there's we, we just don't do that. And I'm not sure if even if we did all five of these things, this would be the answer. Kenneth Thomas and Ralph Kilman categorized five conflict resolution strategies that people use. Uh, they're on the next slide here. I'm going to show them to you. Hopefully you can see that. On the y-axis, you've got assertiveness. You've got unassertive on the bottom and assertive on the top. Then you go x-axis. You've got cooperativeness, whether you're uncooperative or cooperative. And that produces on this graph five different strategies that you use when it comes to conflict. Everything from avoiding bottom left where you're unassertive and uncooperative. You're just withdrawing and walking away to competing where you, where you walk in wanting to win to accommodating in the bottom right here where you just give the world away is the picture, right? You just, you just say, here you go, whatever you want. You're not assertive at all, but you're overly cooperative. And you've got compromising in the middle where everyone wins, but nobody wins. And then you've got collaborating, which is obviously the goal of, of the research that's been done here. Now, certainly there is some fruit that's done in the research that's put behind this. I, I'm pretty sure that when you engage in conflict, my guess is that you tend towards one of these five approaches, or these five strategies, if you would. There's probably a well-worn path in your life to one of these directions. So as you look at that, I mean, I wonder, you could place yourself, where would you place yourself on this chart? This morning, five steps and five strategies, these are good things. They're not necessarily bad things, but that's not what uh, I want to share with you. Okay? Five tools, these are all... Uh, not bad things, but when it comes to conflict, I think there's something that goes far sooner, far deeper when we engage in conflict than even these things. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to point you to Jesus. Hopefully that's not a surprise. 
Okay, we try to do that every single time you're here. And I want to try to point you to Jesus. Here's why. Because I believe that Jesus can inform and impact something much deeper before we even come to a conflict that will impact how we approach conflict. Now we're going to look at this um, in a tiny, tiny letter called Philemon together. So uh, grab a Bible and open with me to the letter of Philemon. It may be hard for you to find because it's one page. Little bitty letter, okay? It's between Titus and Hebrews, and I wrote the page up there. Make sure you uh, open your Bibles up and follow along with me. We're going to be in 16 verses. I'd love to tell you what chapter it's in, but there's not a chapter. It's just verses uh, 1 through 25. Rich, thick verses. We're going to go through the first 16. I also like to usually give you context before we start. I'm not going to do that. I want to read it with you first, and then give you some context after we read it. I will tell you, we're in the year about 60 A.D. when this was written. Okay, so I want to pray, and then we'll read this. Father, thank you that you've given us these words by the hand of Paul and Timothy. Lord, thank you that you can, oh, you can convict us through these words. You can feed us, encourage us, empower us by your spirit. More than anything I say, Father, would these words ring true in our hearts in a way that we understand who you are more and engage in conflict in a new way. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. So I've been having you stand recently for when I read scripture. I think it's just out of, I guess, respect for the word. It's something I was challenged with, and so I want to challenge you with it. Why don't we stand as you read, read God's word? Not that you have to do it every time, but we're going we're gonna to do it. Here we go. Philemon, chapter 0, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church it meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always give thanks. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my heart, my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. This is God's word. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So here's what happened. Give you a little bit of context. We've got Paul. I always say this because in case you're visiting and you're not sure who Paul is. Paul is a guy named St. Paul, the Apostle Paul. uh, Kind of a big deal in the early church. Paul actually hated Christians at one point. Wanted to see them killed. He met the resurrected Jesus. Became a follower of Jesus. A missionary. Wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. So much so that he eventually 
became imprisoned for his faith in Jesus. And so here he writes a letter from prison. Most scholars believe he's in Rome, some think Ephesus. But he's writing a letter from prison, um, and he's, Timothy, a mentee of his, is helping him write it as well. And they're writing to um, a guy named Philemon, who lived in the city of Colossae. Paul had not been to Colossae, but he knew of Philemon. And, and, and he's writing to Philemon. Philemon, we understand, is a guy who had a, a home. He was a homeowner. And in that home, he had a gathering. Okay? Shameless plug, by the way, for the early church meeting in small groups. Okay? So we should be meeting in small groups. We see it here again. And so what happened here is um, there was a slave that he had. Philemon was, he had a slave. Okay? I'm just going to time out because you're going to go, wait a minute, Troy. So he's this guy. He's a Christian. He had a slave. What is going on there? Want to just let you know, want to let you know this. Um, slavery that we understand in the American experience and slavery in the Greco-Roman world were two different, really different things. Uh, slavery in the Greco-Roman world was what sometimes is called as a bond servant. You didn't have credit cards back then, so sometimes if you found yourself in debt, you would become basically a bond servant until that debt was worked off. That's one of the ways it could happen. It could be prisoner of war as well. There's different uh, slaves, but slaves could... Uh, be freed. Something called manumission, where you're actually freed by your owner after uh, debt was paid off. These are things that are very different from our experience here in, um, with slavery in America. But So we had this issue where, okay, Philemon had a slave named Onesimus, and something happened between those two. There was a conflict of some kind. We, I don't, we, don't exi- we don't know what it is. I have no idea. Some scholars make it sound like maybe Onesimus, the slave, stole something from Philemon and then ran away. We don't know. We just know that Onesimus left before he was supposed to leave. And when he left, at some point, he came across, he went somewhere and came across a man named Paul. And when he met Paul, he also met somebody else, Jesus. Because Paul pointed Onesimus to Jesus. And he placed his faith in Jesus, Onesimus did. And this is what we know. And now what Paul is doing is saying, hey, this guy who didn't know Jesus now knows Jesus. I'm going to send him back to Philemon, his, his master. Paul's like, I'm going to send him back to you. And I want you to receive him back not as a slave, but as a brother now. Because Philemon followed Jesus, and so did Onesimus. And so he's like, I'm trying to get you to to be united. Now, tons of insights, rich things in this letter. But for this morning, I want to highlight how we can learn and what we can appro- how we can learn about how we approach conflict from this letter. And here's what I want to go through with you. Our approach to conflict should not be to avoid or to attack, but it should be to appeal. That's where we're headed. Conflict, our approach to conflict should not be to avoid conflict, to attack in it, but to appeal. And I want to work it out with you. So let's start by talking about avoiding. When I say approach conflict, we cannot by definition then avoid it. Okay, And yet, many of us avoid conflict like the plague. Right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay, now, help me out here. I want you to engage with me. What are some reasons? What are some reasons why we avoid conflict? Why do we avoid conflict? Fear. That came out quick. Fear of what, Bev? She's like a lot of things. Fear of retaliation. So yeah, okay, you want to avoid that. What else? Shame. So how so? Oh, you're right, but how so? The shame of the way you're thinking about things? Sure. That's why I want to avoid conflict. Maybe we're not even right going into it. Sure. What else? Pride. It's when you're always 
When you're always right, somebody's got to be wrong. Thanks, Joe. That's right. <laughs> Is that why we avoid conflict? <laughs> okay. Um, how other reasons why we avoid conflict? Loss of friendship is a potential, so we want to make sure that's not going to happen. It's easier than engaging, right? We could go on and on. Some of you are like, oh, no, he hasn't even touched the one that I've got going on of why I avoid conflict, okay? But here's the thing. There may be even rational things in our mind that we go, okay, here's why I'm going to avoid this conflict. It is not healthy in the long run, okay? Avoiding conflict is is not healthy, and here's why. There's actually a variety of reasons why. Avoiding conflict is not healthy because when we avoid conflict, we have what's called false peace. When we go, okay, it's all good. We just don't want to really want to engage in that. That's not peace. That's false peace. What false peace breeds in us is resentment, bitterness, anger. And so what happens is when we have false peace, we take these things that we avoid and we take small conflicts and they start to grow. You know what I'm talking about. They grow until explosion or intervention, right? Okay? So when we say, hey, if we can just avoid conflict, things are going to be healthy, it's not true. It's not true. Conflict is actually an opportunity. Every conflict is actually an opportunity for deeper relationship. Every conflict is an opportunity for deeper relationship. Paul writes this in verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's like, this is an opportunity for you two to be in a place in your relationship where you've never been before. And so conflict can actually be a huge opportunity for us. So we need to approach conflict. Now what's ironic, and I'll be honest, I was reading this, I'm like, well, okay, Troy, are you kind of undermining what you're saying here? Onesimus is actually not the one who is approaching Philemon in this. Okay? That's a problem to some extent. But it's not, I think, because here's why. Paul steps in here, I think because of the slave and master divide, I think Paul steps in and says, hey, I want to seek to help reconcile the two of you. There's some nuances here. And he steps in as an ambassador on behalf of Onesimus to bring him back to uh, Philemon. And so, uh, one of the things that we have to pull away from this, though, is that how Paul approaches this conflict is absolutely instrumental for us to learn from. And he starts by teaching us with, with the first three words of this letter. What are the first three words of this letter? Just say them out loud. Paul, a prisoner. Paul begins his letter saying, Paul, a prisoner. If you were to look at some of his other letters, he would start differently. He would say, Paul, an apostle and servant of Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he mostly starts his letters off. Paul, an apostle. Here's my kind of like spiritual authority. And he does that to make sure those who are are getting the letter know who he is. Here he says, Paul, a prisoner. And so Paul's first thing to do is he addresses himself as a prisoner. Now, who wants to guess? There's even less freedom as a prisoner as there is as a slave. And so Paul's identifying here and saying, hey, I'm humble. I'm humble. Not only that, Paul continues on by building Philemon up. In verse 4, he expresses gratitude. He's like, I'm so thankful for your love, Philemon, for your faith, the ways that you've built up the saints. And then he says literally in verse 6, it says literally, I'm thankful for every good thing which is in you for the sake of Jesus. So when we get past avoiding conflict and we get enough courage to lean into conflict there's two things we can learn from paul right here that we can do the first one is to humble ourselves and to honor the other okay when it comes to conflict 
great place to start would be to humble ourselves and to honor the others. This is not always the case, is it? It's hard for us to do both of those things, especially in conflict. Almost a decade ago, uh, I had a couple in, uh, in, our, in our house. We were in the basement working through some issues in their marriage. They were really stuck. And they're not part of our family here anymore. They moved out of state years ago, so I can talk about them. Anyway, so, um, so we were down there working through some, some things, and the husband said something that really set the wife off, okay? And so her response was to get up from the couch, run up the stairs of our house, out of our garage, into the one vehicle they shared that they drove in together, and drive away. And so I was sitting there with this guy, and he's like, See? That's what I'm talking about. Now what do we do? And I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Um, I have a feeling she's going to come back. Uh, in the meanwhile, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and then we're going to work through a couple things. One thing is, how can you own what you need to own in this? How can you humble yourself? And when she comes back, how can you be ready to honor her, to ask for forgiveness, apologize, and seek to honor her in this? So we worked on that. Guess what? She came back, thankfully. She came back. Came downstairs, sat down, and we and that's what he did. And he did okay. Until she then responded venomously at him. And you want to guess what he did? He ran up the stairs. He went out of the I'm not making this up. He ran out into the shared vehicle and he drove away. And then I got my unicycle out and started juggling in the driveway. It was a circus. Okay? At the end of the day, here was the struggle, that neither of them were really, really willing to lean in and humble themselves and honor the other. And so they were just, that's why they were stuck. They just could not get to that point where they would do this. Paul completely humbles himself as he opens this conflict up here. He completely humbles himself. Verse 8, he says this, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. Paul's like, look, Philemon, you know me, like my spiritual authority as kind of like an apostle would would make it so that it would probably be okay for me to say, here's how you're going to play this out. But I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to appeal on the basis of love to you. He humbles himself. He humbles himself again. Verse 11, he admits, he says, hey, formerly Onesimus was useless to you. He's like saying, look, I'm just acknowledging. I'm not trying to defend Onesimus. I'm not trying to attack you. He's like, look, he was useless. And it's actually kind of a fun play on Greek words if, you're, if you read this in the Greek because Onesimus' name is useful. Like that's what it means. So he's like, I know he was useless. He was totally useless, the irony in it. He's like, but now he can be useful, but he humbles himself. And then he humbles himself in verse 14 again. He says, I don't want to do anything without your consent. Paul totally could have done something without his consent. But he says, basically, I don't want to force you anything. I want to appeal to you. Over and over, Paul approaches this by humbling himself and honoring Philemon. It's a great place to start. It is a great place to start. Now, it is not the only thing that needs to happen, though. Okay? It's not the only thing that needs to happen. Because when we engage in conflict... Very quickly, we can still take that humility that we wanted to start with and it can turn on us like it did in that time in my house. Okay, It can turn very quickly. And our approach to conflict can very easily go from avoiding to attacking. Humility very quickly can turn into pride. Very quickly. When, and we've got to be right because the other person's wrong. Joe, thanks for bringing that up. 
very quickly we can default towards our self-righteousness and how much of a better person we are than that other person. And this last incident is just example 100. Very quickly, we can resort to defensiveness in conflict. The walls go up to protect us, and then we start launching counterattacks over the wall, okay? And very quickly, we can become influenced by the hurt and pain that is inside of us that we don't don't even know affects the conflict that is in hand. Like I said this, hurt people hurt people. And I think one of the reasons we do that is because we don't even actually realize some of the hurt that we have. One of the images that has most recently struck me when it comes to conflict is this, uh, this image of a kettle, an electric kettle. I happen to walk past it all the time. It's just right out here in the kitchenette. And so as I was walking past it, I was struck again uh, recently by this, thinking about what this looks like and what is actually going on. Now, if you took room temperature water and put it in this kettle and asked it, you know, and just flipped the switch and had it boil, it would take, I timed it, it would take seven and a half minutes to bring it to a boil. Okay. And then it kind of clicks off and it's like a rolling boil. But those of you who have been through any science class understand that once it's at a temperature where it's boiling, if it turns off, it doesn't look like it's boiling. But then if you hit the switch again, I'll show you in a minute. If you hit the switch again, what's going to happen? Oh, it's going to boil real quick. It's going to go back to boiling real quick. So let me give it a second here. I'll show you what this looks like. Sometimes our approach to conflict is to attack, and one of the reasons is is because whether you realize it or not, you are walking around close to boiling in certain parts of your life. And you're just waiting for that, that switch to get tripped, and you're right there. Zero to 60, if you would, or whatever degrees to whatever degrees, real fast. We don't always realize what we're carrying around inside of us. It may have been a a wound or a a hurt from a long time ago. may have been from just recently. But it's one of the reasons we avoid conflict. It's one of the reasons that we attack. Let me give you an example of this. There we go. Look at the thing boil. Some of you perhaps were in a relationship at some point in your life and you uh, you were cheated on in that relationship or you were betrayed in that relationship. And so that, that deeply hurt you, okay, when you were betrayed in that relationship. And so ever since, what you've done is you've sought to guard your heart because you'll be darned if that's going to happen again, okay? And so you become cynical, you become uh, distance, There's, you put distance in relationships because you're like, that is not going to happen to me again. And so, so let's just say then in your life you had that happen and someone comes up and, and offends you in even some of the smallest ways. Says something that's kind of like, I don't know if I can trust them. And all of a sudden they didn't realize they ripped off a massive bandage of a deep wound that they just reopened. And you're right there. Out of nowhere. You're like, where did this come from? And all of a sudden you're engaging in this conflict in, a, in, in an attacking way. But you don't know why. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was at some, at some point in your life you were wounded because someone said something to you. Maybe you weren't, um, maybe you weren't athletic. And so someone made fun of you because you weren't athletic. Or maybe you were um, too skinny and so someone made fun of you. Or maybe you were overweight and someone made fun of you. Or maybe you weren't smart enough. Like, we could go from, it comes from any direction. Like no matter who you are, someone could always say, well, you're not this. And you begin to feel unworthy. 
there's this unworthiness that plays out. And it hurts. It hurts. There's a wound deep inside of you that is unhealed. And then it comes out whenever there is conflict. And so now we hit that switch again and something happens. And that rolling, that's just going to think it's going to be rolling just real quick. Now I'm going to give you a silly example of this. My wife, uh, Stephanie, went through chemotherapy and radiation and cancer. And so um, because she recognized through that, she didn't know where that cancer came from. She was like, well, I need to change my diet. I need to give up certain foods. And she ate healthy before this, but now she eats like super healthy. And I got to tell you, the food she gives up, this food's awesome. It's like really good. I mean, it's like bacon. I mean, like all kinds of good food that you want to eat that you probably do eat. Okay. And so she gives up the food, but there's a part of me now that I have to sneak Halloween candy. Okay. Just because I'm, I don't want to be like, okay, I'm sorry. You know, because it's not like she's wishing cancer on me, but she's just kind of like, hey, how come you get to eat that? I, don't, I decided not to eat this. I want to be around. Thank you, honey, for wanting to be around. The other day we were driving the van, and she looked over, and she's like, are you kidding me? Some guy was slamming a two-liter Mountain Dew, like, in the vehicle. And she's just like, are you kidding me? And again, she's not wishing cancer on that guy. She's just like, how, is, how come I got cancer? And so she's, there's a little bit of a switch that flips. For me, with our kids, oh, man, I love my children, I promise. I do. But, but like, and, and, and so the switch flips when, I, when they whine. Because, I mean, they don't understand. They have, they're clueless about how, much we, how hard we work, how intentional we are to provide for them. And, and to give them what they need and to, to love them well, they're just like, hey, whatever. You know, and, and like, man, well, why don't we have more? And I'm just like, Bruh! and then you're going to hear me. This is what happens. This right here. So quick. And then I start raising my voice. And I don't raise my voice. I probably never raised my voice with any of you in 14 years. And then I go home and all of a sudden I'm like, blah, 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 blah. It's like, what is going on? Now, I, I, and I, I, probably missed, I probably missed a lot of the wounds that you face in the room, okay? I can't cover them all. Um, but here's the thing, that we have wounds, and, and these wounds we bring into conflict with us. We kind of come and we approach them with the wounds already. And so we, they, they cause us to want to avoid conflict or attack when in conflict. But this brings us to the question of this. If we've got these wounds and they impact how we deal with conflict, how are we healed? How are we healed? I told you up front, I'm going to point to Jesus, so I'm going to start now, okay? We are healed by appealing to Jesus. We're healed by appealing to Jesus. When we approach conflict, the way to approach conflict is to appeal to Jesus. Here's why. If we appeal to Jesus in our conflict, if we submit our lives to Him, He's going to deal with that pride. And he's going, to try, he's going to start to heal the pride in us. You know how he's going to do that? It's he's going to continue to remind us that he, who being in very nature God, did not consider something, the equality with God to be grasped, but he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus did that. If we appeal to Jesus in conflict, he's going to deal with our need to be right and our insecurities about not being right because we're going to find our securities increasingly in him and not in us being right. If we appeal to Jesus in our conflict, he will deal with our self-righteousness because he'll remind us that we're not as awesome as we think. But he is, and he exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. 
If we appeal to Jesus in conflict, he will increasingly deal with and heal our defensiveness because he'll remind us that he is our defense, that he defends us before the Father, and he can certainly defend us before one another as well. If we appeal to Jesus in conflict, he will increasingly deal with and heal our cynicism and our mistrust and our insecurities about what people have said about us because he will not fail us, and he has spoken our identity over us, and we can be secure in that. The way for us to approach conflict is to appeal to Jesus. Now, here's what's cool. When I think about Paul, Paul has appealed to Jesus. It happened on the road to Damascus. His life was changed. And, and, and Paul let Jesus deal with him and heal him. And as a result, Paul could then go to Onesimus and say, Onesimus, I've got to point you to Jesus. And so Onesimus, who was a slave, let... He appealed to Jesus, and he let Jesus deal with him, and then he let Jesus heal him. And now Paul's going back to Philemon and saying, hey, you two guys come together. I appeal to you. Come back together. I mentioned it twice before, but I want to come back to it. Actually, I skipped a part. Nathan, I'm sorry. Uh, Paul uses this word appeal. He doesn't just use it here in this word. He uses it also in uh, Philippians 4. There was another fight that was happening. Uh, that happened once between two sisters in Christ. Here it is. I plead with or appeal to Judea, and I plead with Syntyche, or I, I appeal to, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. They were having a rift, and Paul's like, I use this word appeal. He's like, I appeal. Now, the Greek word for appeal here is parakaleo. Parakaleo, it's two words coming together. The first word is para, which means to the side of. And kaleo means to call. So if you put these words together, literally it's saying to call to the side of. To call to the side of. And Paul's saying, he's, he's gone to Onesimus and says, I'm going to call you, I appeal to you on behalf of who Jesus is, come to know him. He came to the side of him. He was called to come to the side of him. And now he's saying, I'm going to come to call the side of you and have... Philemon, I'm going to write to him and say, hey, I call you to come to the side of Onesimus, to come to the side of. Why? Because that's what Jesus did to us in the incarnation. God the Father sent Jesus Christ to come. He was called to the side of us. To reconcile us to the Father and reconcile us to one another. The way for us to approach conflict, family, is to appeal to Jesus. Because when we appeal to Jesus, he's going to deal with us graciously. And then he's going to heal us. He'll begin to heal us and grow us. And I want to say this. A lot of the times when Jesus does deal with us and heal with us is in the midst of conflict. It's in the midst of conflict that Jesus is saying, I'm going to grow you in this. I'm going to heal you in this. I'm going to deal with you in this. You're going to feel my grace and mercy and love. In new ways in the midst of conflict. So if we avoid conflict, we are avoiding the opportunity for Jesus to deal with us and heal us. Last April, uh, I was driving over to the high school to one of our kids' uh, spring concerts. Pull up the high school, let Stephanie and the kids all out so they can go get the seats or whatever and drive, drive out to a park spot, uh, park the van, and uh, picked up my phone to check it. I saw a text message. And it had come from a friend of, of mine in town here. He's not part of Kettlebrook, but he's a friend of mine. And the text message, text message had a picture uh, of, a, of a Facebook post. And then underneath that, it said these words, Troy, do you want to deal with this or do you want me to? 
And so I was like, okay, better zoom in. I better see what this Facebook post is. And so this Facebook post, I started to read it, and I started to tear up in my eyes. I started to cry a little bit in the van. And the reason why was because it was a post that was made by um, a dear brother uh, in Christ here who's part of our Kettlebrook family. He's been here as long as I have, who I love dearly. But who had, uh, there was something that happened that day that he responded to uh, in a way that was unlike him and unlike Christ. Uh, See, on that day, there was five young boys that were driving a car to soccer practice. They were brothers, all five of them. And the oldest brother was driving and for whatever reason, uh, went off the road down in Menominee Falls area. His, uh, his next oldest brother was ejected from the car and killed. One of his other brothers was wounded in critical condition. So this event happened, and this brother in Christ had posted something on Facebook that was venomous, again, not of Christ and not like him. And so I sent him a quick text message, and I said, Brother, please call me. I knew he was at work. Please call me as soon as you can about something that's posted on Facebook. Um, Needless to say, conflict at a multitude of levels. That was last April. Since April, Jesus has been doing what he does, which is to deal with us and to heal us. And so I asked this brother of ours if he would share in front of all of you. Um, and he agreed to do that. He graciously said yes. So I'd like to invite him up here. Bill, can you come on up here? Thanks for coming up, Bill. Now, Bill, there are, uh, there are probably a few things. few things is humbling. Oh, a microphone. Stephanie, do you have the mic? We need that. He's going to need that. Thank you. There are a few things probably Bill is humbling is what we're doing right here as you share. But one of the things we talked about is the fact that as we grow in Christ, the entire body can grow up in the, in the fullest maturity of Christ. And so how do we leverage those things for his glory? Now, um, I pray, Bill, that ever since that first text that I have been called to the side of you in this. Um, and we're not going to go into the words specifically that were posted but this morning I just talked about kind of some of the stuff that we bring to conflict with us. Hurts, pains that are in us, insecurities. Help us to empathize with you a little bit by sharing some of the things that were in your heart that day. Um, and I just want to say this too. Jesus had this thing uh, one time where these, these people were going to stone this woman. Okay? Some of you might be like, I can't believe this guy, what he's doing up here, what he said. It's okay. Ye who is without sin, please first uh, throw that first stone, okay? I just want to say that. So Bill, I love that story, by the way. You love that? Yeah. It's a great story of grace and mercy. So um, share with us, Bill. What was, what was in your heart and mind? There are a lot of people out here. <laughs> um, well, this isn't a fun thing for me to do, but I agreed to do it, and you did not twist my arm. No, I didn't. Thank you. Um, just to be clear on that. Um, and if I was sitting out in the congregation looking back at me right now, I'd have some probably frustrated or disappointing feelings toward me, so I understand that. Um, but to your question, um, one thing that was not at work in my heart was to get, uh, the uh, fruit of the Holy Spirit at the time. Um, and anger was the predominant emotion. Um, I won't go into all the specifics of that, but you know, I could give a lot of excuses for why I did what I did and what I said. Um, but the truth is I was just unmerciful and selfish and just wanting to vent. Mm. And I did it in a very public way. 
Um, and the Lord's still working on my heart in, in regards to the roots of all this, and that's something you and I have been working through in the last several months. Um, the fruit in a person's life is based on where those roots go. And sometimes they go in places that we don't realize they're going and, um, or even recognize where they, they started. But they usually come from seeds that, you know, that were planted by someone else or ourselves, whatever. And then they, def- they start to define our life and they start to speak into our life and then we start to believe them. Um, so self-talk is, is very important too. Um, I've heard it said that the uh, subconscious does not have a sense of humor. Um, I've heard that from my wife, as a matter of fact. And as you say things, declare things over yourself, you start to become what you declare over yourself in many respects. Um, And really what we should be doing is declaring the truth, the truth of who we are in Christ, specifically the gospel. I know that's one thing you said. I want you to preach the gospel over yourself or declare the gospel over yourself to remember who you are and remember, you know, what Christ has done for you. And that's all part of the renewing of the mind thing. Yeah, yeah. I know, Bill, from my perspective, we've known each other for 14 years, but the last six months has actually been as close as ever as I've felt to you uh, in spending some of that time working through some of these things together. Uh, What was was encouraging to me was that uh, Bill couldn't respond to me uh, right away because he was at work, and so he sent me a text message back that that allowed me to go into the concert going, okay, God's got this, and this is going to be okay. His text message said, Troy, my infamous post on Facebook was made out of ignorance and stupidity. So he's starting with humility. His first response back is humility. Um, If you feel there's a need for me to apologize to somebody and ask for forgiveness directly, please let me know who that is. I was under the impression this young man was driving recklessly. I was angry about the assumption he endangered and injured his siblings in doing so. Whether that is the case or not, comments were completely out of line. I take full responsibility for what I said, and I'm sorry. That that is an approach of humility in the midst of that. So, Bill, I was grateful for that. Um, As I just said earlier, you were letting Jesus and the Spirit deal with you after having uh, done that. Now, ever since then, you've been letting Jesus try to work and deal with some of those things. We've been looking at the root of some of those things. Um, What has that been like for you as we've processed through some of those things as well? Well, I have to admit that getting busted was part of my motivation for dealing with them. But whatever it takes, um, you know, Holy Spirit was convicting me very early on, right after I uh, put those comments out there, in fact, before I even got the message from you. Um, So that all came together all at once. Um, But I appreciate the time that we've spent together to try to process through some of these things. Yeah, yeah. And we all have that. These are the things that we flip that switch and they boil us, okay? We all have that in our lives. Now... Bill, you were letting Jesus deal with you. Um, you were also there thereafter. You've been proactively seeking rec- restoration and reconciliation in as many as possible of those people who may have been hurt by that or offended or whatever. Tell us what did that look like for you? Well, it wasn't a fun process, but at least to get started in it. Sure. Um, and I'm sure there's still people out there that probably knew about this and probably a lot of people out here that didn't know about this. So I could have kept it to myself. <laughs> it would have been a lot easier. Um, but I did seek out the different individuals that I knew of that I offended, including this mutual friend of ours who I love dearly as well. And um, I 
went through the process of seeking them out and specifically asking for forgiveness and um, expressing my fact, the fact that I was sorry. I also began praying for the Olas, the Ola family. Mm-hmm. And um, I do actually know Dennis Ola mm-hmm. and didn't realize who this family is. And regardless of who it was, it was... It just it hit hard. It was like salt in the wounds, um, realizing who this was. Mm. Um, but I did seek out the people that I offended and I hurt. And what was really surprising is that to a person, so far, um, they all responded with graciousness and tremendous mercy and forgiveness. And it just felt like this burden was lifted. Yeah. You know, that's what for- forgiveness feels like. Yeah. It's freedom, right? Yeah. yeah. And again, it's partially because as you approach that, you're approaching it out of humility. So we're grateful for that. Um, Bill, anything else that you'd share with us, having gone through this in kind of a public sense? and What else? Yeah. Be careful what you say. <laughs> and there's where you're sitting and how that. you... Yeah, there's a lot of scripture about yeah, that. Yeah. Yep. Um, but be careful who you lash out at, lashing out in general. Um, People need mercy and compassion. They don't need accusation and condemnation. Mm. Um, C.S. Lewis said, To be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Mm. And um, that just I just saw that the other day on Facebook. Mm. <laughs> so... But it struck me, and I'm like, i got to share that because I thought it was really good. And in Micah 6, 8... God wants us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before him. And um, showing mercy is, can be hard at times, especially with difficult relationships. But we all have them. But um, I recognize that God has been merciful to me and kind to me in many ways. So, uh, and I just pray that I will continue to, to be cognizant of that. Yeah. As Christ, as we appeal to him, he deals with us and begins to heal us. Amen. Can I pray for you? Okay, let's pray. Father, we are so uh, grateful that you are a God who we can appeal to. We are grateful that we can understand what forgiveness is, what what freedom can be in Christ in the midst of um, things where we fall short. And Father, the things that Bill shared this morning are things that um, everyone in this room, I know, we are all guilty of things like this. We all have thoughts that we have not let be taken captive to your son, Jesus. We all have these things in us. And so I pray, Father, that this would be a way for us to point and appeal to your son, Jesus. That he would then deal with us. And he would begin to heal us, Father. Use every opportunity for conflict, Father, to draw us nearer to one another. It's because Satan wants to use conflict to, to divide us. We stand against we stand against him. We stand against that concept. But instead, we can take conflict and we can leverage it for the sake of your glory and your kingdom. We pray it be the case in this specific instance and in hundreds of instances in this room for your glory. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for sharing.